Well, hello, folks. This is Stuart Haynes, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. If you are like millions of people in North America and millions more worldwide, you may suffer from seasonal allergies. It's common and it's annoying. Admittedly, people don't die from allergic rhinitis, but it sure can make people feel miserable, disrupt sleep, worsen performance at work and school. And while it's largely treatable, it can be pretty costly. Moreover, allergic rhinitis increases the risk of bacterial infections like acute sinusitis and middle ear infections. Most treatments for allergic rhinitis are available over the counter, and thus pharmacists are often the primary source of information for patients who suffer from seasonal allergies. Similar to the treatment of asthma, many patients are instructed to use nasal corticosteroids every day in order to control allergic symptoms. Is that really necessary? As we've learned in recent years, as-needed steroids do a pretty good job of treating and preventing asthma symptoms. Perhaps as-needed nasal steroids can get the job done too. A recent study published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice attempted to evaluate this very practical question. And I'm delighted to welcome our guest today to review this paper with us from the RWJ Barnabas Health System and Ambulatory Care Division are our guests, Lalitha Sukumar, Raul Jacob, and Elisa Galapani. Dr. Sukumar is a PGY2 Ambulatory Care Pharmacy Practice resident, and Dr. Jacob is an Ambulatory Care Pharmacy Specialist, and Dr. Galapani is on faculty with Fairleigh Dickinson University School of Pharmacy, and they provide a variety of direct patient care services in the RWJ Barnabas Health Clinics throughout the state of New Jersey. So, Lalitha, Raul, Elisa, it's great to have all of you as first-time contributors to the iFormerX podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Stuart, for having us. We're huge fans of this podcast. Thanks, Stuart. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you so much for having us today. So I'm going to direct my first question to you, Elisa, before we talk about the study that the three of you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary. I'd like to get a better sense of the contemporary management of allergic rhinitis. What are the most common causes of allergic rhinitis? What are some of the consequences if it's left untreated? And what are the recommended treatments? Allergic rhinitis is an inflammatory condition of the nasal mucosa. This condition usually occurs when mucous membranes are exposed to allergenic particles, which then elicit an immune globulin E or IgE response. This acute response causes a release of inflammatory mediators, which release in symptoms of sneezing, nasal itching and discharge, post-nasal drip, nasal congestion, cough, and fatigue. Itchiness of the throat, eyes, and ears can occur as well. There are three ways of classifying allergic rhinitis. First, we have seasonal allergic rhinitis, which occurs during specific times of the year. Usually the allergen is specific, such as pollen from trees, grass, or weeds. Second, we have persistent or perennial allergic rhinitis, which is triggered by allergens found in the environment all year round. These are usually non-seasonal allergens, such as mold, dust mites, or animal dander. 
The third type of allergic rhinitis is episodic allergic rhinitis, which involves exposure to specific airborne allergens on a sporadic basis, such as pets. Many people have a combination of these types, having year-round symptoms coupled with seasonal exacerbations. In addition to the three classifications, they can each be broken down into intermittent or persistent categories. So intermittent allergic rhinitis usually occurs less than four days per week or less than one month out of the year. In comparison, persistent allergic rhinitis occurs four or more days out of the week or at least one month out of the year. Properly treating and managing allergic rhinitis is important because if it's left untreated, it can lead to a negative impact on health outcomes and a high economic cost. In adults, moderate to severe allergic rhinitis is associated with anxiety, depression, reduced academic and work productivity, impairment of common daily activities, and lower quality of life scores. Since this condition is associated with sleep-disturbed breathing, fatigue and malaise are also common. Proper identification and treatment of these symptoms is important to prevent these complications from occurring. The allergic rhinitis and its impact on asthma guideline, also referred to as ARIA, has a goal to improve the care of patients with allergic and chronic respiratory diseases. Intranasal corticosteroids, like fluticasone furate, are the mainstay of treatment. There's little data recommending one intranasal corticosteroid over another, but they have been shown to have better tolerability profile than oral antihistamines. It's recommended to use these intranasal corticosteroids on a daily basis since onset of action takes place after a few days. But in reality, most individuals just use them on an as-needed basis when their symptoms are worse. Well, Lolita, I'm going to direct this question to you. In the commentary you wrote for iFormerX, you reviewed the study entitled As Needed Versus Regular Use of Fluticasone Furate nasal spray in patients with moderate to severe persistent perennial allergic rhinitis, a randomized controlled trial. And this was published in the March 2021 issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. I suspect many of our listeners don't actually subscribe to that journal, and we do provide a link to the paper on the iFormerX website. So can you give us a brief synopsis of the study methods and findings? It was a single-blinded, two-arm, parallel group, randomized controlled trial conducted for six weeks at multiple sites in Bangkok, Thailand from October 2017 to June 2019. The study compared the efficacy between as-needed and regular use of intranasal corticosteroids in patients 18 years or older with moderate to severe perennial allergic rhinitis. In total, 108 patients were randomly assigned to two groups, and those two groups were either as-needed fluticasone use or regular use in a one-to-one ratio. The as-needed group was treated with fluticasone furoate nasal spray, two sprays in each nostril, once daily for the first week, followed by as-needed use for five additional weeks. And this is because it takes fluticasone about one to eight days to become effective. In the regular group, they were being treated with two sprays in each nostril, once daily for six weeks. Patients were instructed to record in a daily diary their 24-hour nasal symptoms, and this could be congestion, rhinorrhea, sneezing, and itching. They used a four-point rating scale, which ranged from zero, 
no symptoms to three with severe symptoms such as trouble sleeping. The sum of all four individual nasal symptoms was called the total nasal symptom score or TNSS. The primary outcome that they examined was the mean change from baseline in the total nasal symptom score between the as-needed group and the regular group over the six-week treatment period. When looking at the baseline characteristics between both groups, it was relatively similar in terms of age, gender, duration of symptoms, baseline symptoms, types of indoor allergens, and recruitment seasons in Thailand. These endpoints were evaluated at each week from week one to week six. So looking at the primary endpoint results of difference in mean change in the total nasal score between the regular versus as needed group, it was not statistically significant at each week with a mean difference of 1.21 points at week six. If we dive into the specific components of the total nasal score, there was no significant difference in mean change from baseline in itching and rhinorrhea at week six between the two groups. The regular group, though, was superior to the as-needed group in terms of nasal congestion and sneezing at week six. The mean difference in cumulative dose of fluticasone use was statistically significant with the as-needed group usage being lower than the regular group. Lastly, the adverse event profile was similar between both groups other than the common cold, which occurred in 15.4% of patients in the regular group versus 9.8% in the as-needed group. So, Raul, this study was conducted in Bangkok, Thailand, and uh, I can personally attest to the fact that there are many allergens floating in the air in Bangkok, because I've been to Bangkok a few times. So perhaps it's the ideal place to conduct a study like this, but are there any important differences either from the causes of allergic rhinitis in Southeast Asia, or perhaps the patient population that would limit the generalizability and lead us to believe that the results of this study really aren't applicable to our patients here in North America? And do you have any concerns regarding the internal validity of the study and its design or its execution? Yes, Stuart. I think you bring up a great point in terms of generalizability of this study. A major strength of the study is the applicability of its results to the real world. Patients often use intranasal corticosteroids on an as-needed basis and then change to daily treatment when their symptoms are uncontrolled. And this study really explored exactly that by comparing regular daily use of fluticasone to as-needed use. In this study, the two groups were well-matched in baseline characteristics, and the trial met predetermined power, which was concerning at first, knowing that there were only 108 patients included in this trial. Very few patients were lost to follow-up, also, I think as pharmacists, we are interested in adherence to treatment, and this study evaluated adherence rate using multiple strategies, such as weighing the devices before and after to see how much of the fluticasone was actually used, and they used mobile applications to send reminders to the patients as well. However, several factors do still limit the generalizability of these results. The study was primarily conducted in Thailand, like you said which has a tropical and humid climate throughout the year, which can be a confounder when applying these results to the varying climates throughout the United States. Fluticasone furoate takes about one to eight days for it to become effective when compared to placebo. Therefore, in terms of study design, the researchers asked participants in both groups to self-administer fluticasone with two sprays in each nostril daily for the first week. This initial run-in period could possibly make the results more favorable 
than expected for the as-needed fluticasone group. Therefore, a sensitivity analysis was actually performed using the total nasal symptom score on the seventh day as base baseline, because that is when the real entirely as-needed and entirely regular comparison had begun. And what they found was that the regular group had a significantly higher mean change in total nasal symptom score on week six when compared to the fluticasone as-needed group. Another limitation in this study is that it did not evaluate which patients with which particular allergen responded well in each group, which makes it difficult for us when we try to individualize the results to our specific patient populations. Lastly, total nasal symptom scores that are reported are considered subjective data, which could possibly contribute to participant bias. But there was a difference or a higher mean change in nasal peak inspiratory flow, which would be considered more of an objective score. However, ultimately, this difference doesn't necessarily change my interpretation of the study or how I would apply it to practice. So, Raul, let's talk about the bottom line. The results of the study suggest that as-needed intranasal steroid use appears to be nearly as effective as regular daily use. But given that intranasal steroids aren't totally benign, some patients become more prone to nosebleeds, for example, due to thinning of the mucous membranes, and there may be some systemic effects for some patients. So do you think we should routinely recommend as-needed use or continue to recommend routine daily use? When we are considering on-demand treatment protocols for the treatment of perennial allergic rhinitis, I think it's all about balance between appropriate and manageable symptom control versus drug adverse events and cost of treatment. This kind of approach is actually similar to the asthma treatment as found in the step two of GINA guidelines, which recommend the as-needed use of inhaled budesonide formoterol in patients with asthma as an alternative to daily inhaled corticosteroid therapy. However, it will be hard to predict which group of patients will not achieve adequate control of their symptoms with an as-needed approach. Therefore, we must implement a personalized strategy by providing patient education, written action plans, and really ensuring regular follow-up with providers and pharmacists. Ultimately, the study suggests that as-needed use of intranasal corticosteroids for allergic rhinitis may help limit exposure to corticosteroids and conform to real-world patient behavior, especially when symptoms are minimal. But we must keep in mind that this as-needed use will come with less sustained treatment effect and may require escalation of therapy in certain patients. Well, Lisa, Raul, Lalita, I, I want to thank all of you for joining me today to discuss the treatment of allergic rhinitis and the role of as-needed rather than daily scheduled use of intranasal steroids. I think it's clear from your comments that you think this is a potential treatment option that many patients may benefit. And in fact, most patients probably use these products in this way, but it seems to be an acceptable way to use the products. Of course, if a patient's symptoms are not controlled well enough, then they may need to use daily use. Well, tell us what you think. Do you mention to your patients the possibility of using intranasal steroids only as needed? Or do you encourage patients to use them daily? Only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on our website. Any health professional can join iFormerX. It's free, so sign up today.
And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist or perhaps thinking about becoming board-certified, we've got good news. You can earn recertification and continuing education credit for this program. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to make select iFormerX content available for their ambulatory care board recertification program. So just click on the link posted below the commentary on our website to learn more. And lastly, I want to extend a very special thank you to one of our newest members of our editorial board, Dr. Ashley Meredith from Purdue University College of Pharmacy. Ashley is passionate about all things ambulatory care, but has a special interest in reproductive health and contraception. Dr. Meredith has contributed to iFormerX in several ways over the past few years, authoring and reviewing commentaries and participating in podcasts. So we're delighted that she's agreed to join our editorial board. So thank you, Ashley, for your willingness to serve. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, editor-in-chief of iFormerX, signing off. Music.